0: This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from Atop a Hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente Emeritus. Thank you much, Lee Gertrude, and hola, citizens. Welcome to this episode six of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm Eric Fritchus, known also as Emeritus. Our guest on this week's program is Pam Hansen, a lady who wears a lot of hats and a lot of names. Alongside her mother, Barbara Andrews, she is one half of the romance-writing nom de plume, Jennifer Drew, and also half of the supernatural science fiction pen name, Pam Rock. They've written over two dozen romance novels for Dorchester and Harlequin Silhouette. A 27th book called Hometown Reunion will be published in September by Steeple Hill Love Inspired. They've also written six books of women's fiction for guideposts under their own names. A former reporter, Pam has previously taught journalism at West Virginia University, but then moved to Nebraska last year because apparently the winters here just weren't cold enough for her. She continues to write there and tutors students in a university writing center. This June, she'll be teaching three workshops at the West Virginia Writers Summer Conference. Pam Hansen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Eric.
0: As I said, you're, uh, you're in Nebraska at the moment. How's the weather up there?
1: Actually, today it's very sunny and warm. The only thing that I really can't stand, and I think I know why prairie women went insane, is the wind. It's it's very windy.
0: Yeah, at least around here we've got the mountains to kind of cut down on that.
1: Yeah. There are the closest mountains of the Rockies that are, you know, five, seven hours away. I really don't know.
0: So did you grow up in West Virginia?
1: No, I actually was born in Michigan. And went to Iowa to go to college, uh, uh, and that's where I met my husband, and then we went to Arizona, and then we went to West Virginia for 15 years.
0: How long have you been with West Virginia Writers?
1: I went to my first conference, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, in 2003, and that's the year that I joined West Virginia Writers.
0: You're a romance novelist. Now, I feel I have to disclose here that I've never actually read a romance novel per se, though I will admit to having slowly skimmed through a few, lingering on certain sections of them as a teenager. No need to go into more detail.
1: Eric. Eric, Eric. Well, you know how people go into the family business, like if your dad owns a shoe store, you might become part owner in the shoe store? Mm -hmm. Well, my mother was... Well, my mother was going to go to law school, and she got married instead and taught school, which she hated, and I came along a while later, as did three siblings, and she, my aunt aunt, who owned a flea market, and she gave my mother a bag of Harlequin romances, and my mother thought, I could do this. She had to find a way to make money, and I won't disclose my age, but at the age that my siblings and I were, there wasn't daycare, it was very hard to go out and uh, work, and my father was also a school administrator, and he couldn't hire her as a teacher. There were nepotism laws. So she had always written when we were younger, and she wrote um, 19 romance novels. And then she kind of retired. And when I was pregnant with my first son, she said, Why don't we try writing something together? So I kind of, and I, I was a former journalist, so I kind of have gone into the family business. And I will bring you a romance novel,
0: <laughs> and I, I will read it.
1: I will bring it there. Um, I read a lot of historical romances in high school and we don't write historical romances. Um, it's interesting. We would we try to write a mystery together. We don't have a mystery voice. But romance seems to be our our thing, although we're not very romantic people. but It, it seems to be our thing.
0: What is the process that you guys use for, for working on these novels as co-authors? I mean, I imagine it started one way and maybe has evolved over the years, but how, how do you find is the best way to do that?
1: That's actually an interesting question because people have asked me over the years, and we our first book together came out in, gosh, I think 1993. People said, how on earth do you write with your mother? And I think they have a vision of us sitting side by side. We'd kill each other. And um, when we wrote romances that were a little steamier I said well my mother just writes the sex scenes which would usually just make people (laughs) clam up they would just stop talking but actually we have a I we call it a symbiotic process she's very uh, character driven and she always had trouble coming up with plots which is why she kind of I'm crafty that's that's it there are worse words But I'm sort of the person who likes to come up with the plot and design what the characters will do, and I don't care what they do later, but that's her department. So I kind of come up with an idea and give it to her, and she always puts in what I call the magic with the characters, and then I get it back and edit it, and I work with the editors. It it, it really is symbiotic. There's no sitting down next to each other. We we really would kill each other.
0: (laughs) I understand you used to work in the same house but never in the same room.
1: Right. We are now. When we started this all those years ago, ah, she was in Wisconsin and I lived in Arizona. And technology was such, I think you had to use the dial-up modems. We had to send the stuff back and forth. Does that Mm -hmm. even sound? Yeah. I've blanked it out of my mind. And she actually wrote longhand then. She'd write everything longhand. She's come a long way. She composes on the computer. And then she moved in with us about 10 years ago. So we have been in the same, on separate floors. But it's made it a lot easier to work together in terms of proximity. You mentioned the guidepost books. When we started writing those, we actually went to sort of a, this is my husband's idea. Usually we make him stay out of it. But um, we got a big cardboard fold-out um, presentation board. And we would get big sticky notes and write what we wanted to happen in every chapter. And then we'd work off that. So we, re- we have refined our process over the years.
0: Now, the guidepost books are not romance books per se. No. What what would you classify them as?
1: They were stories about three sisters who owned an inn in Pennsylvania and just their day-to-day life. They were inspirational. And what how we actually started to write those is we were writing romantic comedy for Harlequin and we wrote one a little steamier and we decided we wanted to take a break from romance. And we had a very good friend who whose editor had gone to guideposts, and you actually have to audition for them, be invited to write for them, and we auditioned for this series, and we didn't make the first cut, but a month later, we um, were offered a contract, and we wrote six books for them, and we enjoyed it. They were very different, and when we were done with that, we decided to combine the inspirational with the romance, and that's how we went back to
0: Harlequin. That's one of the workshops you're going to be teaching at our summer conference this yes. year about inspirational romance. Yes, yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and Yes. And we talked about this in our very first podcast. Terry McNear and I were discussing that, had mentioned that you were doing this workshop, and I made the bad joke, of course, that inspirational romance novels have no sex in them, but lots and lots of longing.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, I heard. I heard.
0: <laughs> how does it really differ from traditional romance novels?
1: And traditional romance novels is, is, is covers a broad spectrum. I will I will enlighten you. Traditional romance novels are simply boy meets girl, man meets woman, and they have a happy ending. And today, there are romantic suspense romance novels. There, there are paranormal romance novels, which means you know you have an undead hero, maybe, which we won't go into. Um, you have the traditional contemporary. Inspirational romance are simply um, inspir- or romances that feature Christian characters um, dealing with problems in today's world. They're for an audience that wants a sweeter romance, so they yes, they don't have sex scenes in them, and within that particular subgenres is what it's called. You have suspense, inspirational romances. You have historical. We are writing the contemporary, so you have a have a wide range. But they're they're pretty traditional. They're pretty sweet, and they have the differences. They do have characters who have um, sort of a, a faith journey sometimes, or they have some some. They're Christians in the book, but that's but still at their core, they're a love stories.
0: And you write these under which of your pen names?
1: Well, this this is going to be under Pam Andrews when you want to you want to hear the the name history the
0: yeah i was i was curious about this because uh i know you write with your mother under jennifer drew right, but not anymore and, not, not anymore. oh okay no
1: so my mother wrote all her books under her own name when we teamed up we wrote a very few books in a completely strange subgenre that was a, sort of a science fictiony romance they were fun to write. They really were not romantic enough, I don't think, for romance fans and not science fiction-y enough for science fiction fans. But we used a pseudonym. Um, we used Pam Rock, which and Rock was my mother's maiden name. When we teamed up for Harlequin Silhouette, where we wrote as Jennifer Drew, we wrote 15 books for them as Jennifer Drew. Two names is a big, it's a big thing to put on a little tiny book cover. So we came up with... Um, just the pseudonym Jennifer Drew, and we figured we could always kill her off if we needed to. We envisioned her as kind of this nice, tall blonde, and anyone who knows me, that's not me. And we, we wrote 15 books under that, and we did the guideposts under our own name, and when we went to Write for Love Inspired, we decided to do a new name. We talked with our editor. We hadn't Jennifer Drew were different kind of books, and so we decided to use my first name and my maiden name, which was still my mother's last name. So that's how we came up with that name.
0: What are the what are the major advantages of using pin names in the romance genre? Is it something pretty much common to the romance genre or is this I, I don't know how that works
1: Well, in the in romance, you can write different types of books. Um, Nora Roberts, who is ex- I'm sure have you heard of Nora Roberts I bet you have. oh certainly She writes a um, sci-fi futuristic detective novel under the pen name JD Robb everyone knows it's her but you just make you can write different kinds of books under different names and people know when they get that name they get a certain kind of book
0: that's what i was going to ask was uh, did you have any any hidden ones kind of like stephen king kept richard bachman hidden for years i was going to see if you maybe would pull the mask back and you really were nora roberts
1: yeah uh, no i wish. no 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 we just have several names <laughs> this is all But I think it's pretty common. I can't – I don't want to show my ignorance about people, but was it George Eliot, was it, who – when women wrote under men's names or George so they could be published better. I think, you know, sometimes people – like Stephen King, yeah, he wrote the Richard Bachman because he wanted to write a different kind of book.
0: What kind of projects, writing-wise, do you have currently in the works?
1: We have a – we have our our first Love Inspired, as you said, will be out in the fall. And recently we sold our second. We have a wonderful editor. We really like working with her. And we we sell uh, on the basis of a synopsis and three chapters. And so now I will be, with my mother, we'll be writing that book this summer. We gave ourselves kind of a little bit longer deadline because I'm coming to West Virginia. And we have company coming this summer. So we gave ourselves a little bit longer deadline. So we have that going on. And my dream book, I would love to write a young adult novel, but that's way on the back burner.
0: How long does it take the the both of you to, to work on novels, and does it take a different amount of time when you do one individually?
1: Um, I've always ever written with my mother. I've written columns, I've written short pieces, but we've I, since I started writing, I've always written with her. And we can do a book in a couple months, especially since there's two of us. I think if I wrote a book by myself, and now I'm not, when I was working full-time, it probably would have taken me 10 years. Now that I'm not, I I don't know. I'm going to try the young adult, and I'm going to let her tear it apart and tell me what to do with it. She's kind of looking forward to that.
0: How many hours a day do you put into it?
1: She's a morning worker, and I'm an afternoon worker. So I'd say when we're under deadline, she'll work a couple hours in the morning, and I'll work a couple hours in the afternoon. And again, when I was working full Time and we were writing for guideposts. So I would work at night, I would work on the weekends because I just that was the time I had.
0: Each year, West Virginia Writers gives out our Just Uncommonly Good Award at the awards banquet at the conference. You were the recipient of one of those in 2006 for writing. In 2005, though, your good friend Mary Furby won the exact same award but did so posthumously. I was mostly familiar with her from our West Virginia Writers Roundtable email forum and from her Outrageous Women series of books for young people. How about tell us a little bit about your friend and her contribution to the literary scene of West Virginia?
1: Well, she was a prolific writer. She was a teacher. We both taught as adjuncts way back when in the School of Journalism. And she has an incredible body of work. She did the Outrageous Women um, series for children. And she was also an essayist. She also wrote articles. She wrote a book about Anne Bailey, um, a Frontier Scout, and Booklist said that Furby's straightforward retelling of Bailey's life makes for brisk, engaging reading. Equally successful is her even-handed approach. She makes it clear that Bailey was often revered as the most courageous woman of her era, but also occasionally scorned as a mad, (laughs) whiskey-swigging roustabout. Mary, she just had a way of bringing history alive, and she would go around also to schools and talk to um, school children about her books.
0: It's a, a very interesting approach to attracting children to literary figures and historical figures because a lot of her books were nonfiction and that just focusing on these ladies who were such colorful characters in their own time that can are in danger of being lost to, to history as far as the typical American classroom goes.
1: Yes, and I think she did an excellent job of bringing those people alive and Uh, Mary, unfortunately, as you said, she did um, die at the age of 49 in 2004. But she was an excellent speaker. She was animated. She really had a way of bringing history to life, whether she was trying to school children or teaching her journalism classes. And um, we still really miss her.
0: Tell us about some of the workshops you're doing for the conference this year. Uh, What can attendees of the conference expect?
1: I am excited about uh, doing my synopsis workshop. I've done that a couple times and there are there are two kinds of writers and both come out with with the same wonderful words but but we work differently there are those of us who are who are planners we have to plan everything out we have to write the outline and we can deviate from it and then there are those who are called seat of their pants writers and my mother is one and I have a good friend who's one and they like to sort of let the story evolve and one of the things that I'm going to talk about in this workshop is how, whether you're a planner or a seat-of-the-pants writer, still when you go, if your goal is to sell a book, you need to let an editor have an outline or know where your story's going. And this is simply about how to write that outline, how to work within the confines of what, whatever style you have. And I'm excited. I like this workshop. So that's one. And I actually had talked to Terry. I'm doing one on inspirational romances. There's a good market for inspirational romances. I know we're in terrible economic times, but reading, reading is one thing that seems to survive in economic, hard economic times. So I'm kind of excited to do that. And then, as you said, I'm doing a third workshop with Karen Fuller, who is the award-winning columnist for the Charleston Gazette. And I'm very excited. We're doing one on how to jumpstart your creativity. I have never had writer's block, but I have had something called idea block, where I simply could not come up with an idea until an editor made an offhand remark years ago, and, and that spurred an idea that became a book. So I think we're going to have fun with that one.
0: So you're the second generation of a writing team. Is there a third one in the works?
1: Yeah, you no. Know, the team pool is a funny thing. The, I have a nephew who is a prolific writer and reader, and my own children, I have one who went to college a year early, and he is interested in geography. I think the other one wants to be a sports athletic director, and the younger one actually he reads, but he he says he doesn't like to read. So I don't have any budding writers coming up except for the nephew. So
0: well, I guess sometimes it skips a generation.
1: So. I think so.
0: We'll just have, we'll just have to look forward to their kids.
1: Yes, I oh I, uh, yeah, but not right away, please.
0: Well, Pam Hansen, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast, along with all your
1: other personas. Well, thank you, Eric. This has been really, I have to admit, I, I was, as, as I said, having been a reporter, I'm used to asking the questions. And you did such a lovely job of it. So, it's,
0: Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Look forward to seeing you at the conference this year.
1: I can't wait to see you and everyone else. Bye-bye.
0: Henson and Barbara Andrews books can be found at fine retailers online by doing an author search for Jennifer Drew, Pam Rock, or Pam Andrews. You can meet her and half of all of her various personas at this year's West Virginia Writers Summer Conference, June 12th through the 14th at Cedar Lakes Conference Center in Ripley, West Virginia. There have been some recent updates to the workshop presenters list, conference schedule, and the presenters' bios, and all of those changes can be seen at our conference website, wvwriters.org slash One of the things we'd like to do here on the podcast is to broadcast recorded readings of the work of our members. Preferably, these readings should run under 15 minutes and be of good audio quality. If you have such recordings in your possession, we'd love to give them a listen for a possible casting here on the pod. If you've already got them in digital form, such as MP3 or Wave, great deal. If not, the Mr. Herman Studios can probably pull it off a CD, audio tape, or even a big old 1970s style reel-to-reel if it came down to it. Just drop me an email at wwwpodcast.gmail.com at and I'm sure we can arrange something. Next week on the program, we'll be speaking with artist, philosopher, and official conference portrait man, Boyd Carr. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at popswalker.com. This podcast has been produced by Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded atop a hill in Mercer County.